this point in the season, we have completely lost track of what episode number we're on. So welcome back to the current episode of Mentioned and Dispatches for season eight here. Um, we've lost track because we got out of order earlier in the season with the uh, Brian Train guest episode. And then we missed recording one last week. So I have no idea what number we're on. I think it's 10, might be 11. In any event, we have our buddy Cyrano. Jim is back. Jim, how you doing? Hey, good evening. I have and some we- sort of evil New York funk upon me, but I'm otherwise well. Well, mm, don't don't either of you guys breathe too hard on the computers because I don't want to get what either one of you have. But if now might will come right through the set and get you, man. <laughs> yeah, give me a computer virus. Um if uh if Jim is here, then we're probably talking about games involving a short course skin. And to that end, we've brought back David and Stennis from the Wargaming Company. David, how are you doing tonight? Dude was not short. He was average height for the period. Why you guys start like that? Just right off the bat. It's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Two on one. Oh, tag. <laughs> tag. Off the top rope. It's a uh, it's a recurring gag, right? Um it's uh it's become one of those long running staples at this point. Um I'm doing it, pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. And uh so so David is is recovering from Adepticon in more ways than one. And uh so if he if he coughs in your ear, we're gonna apologize in advance. Uh, but the reason we dragged David in here and, and dragged Jim along, um, the wargaming company just dropped some major product on folks in like the last 10 or 12 days as we're recording this, basically just in time to show up at Adepticon with all the new toys. And so we We've got uh, ESR Series 3, so the new version of the books. And and if I recall correctly, you had some of the new minis there as well. Right? We, we did. We had new mini prototypes. We did not. We were hoping to have new minis like that you could put your hands on and take. And if you haven't heard, there's a supply chain thing going on. <laughs> it kind of sucks. So we, we didn't have we didn't have them for sale, but we did have prototypes so people knew that we weren't making it up. Yeah. And if folks want to see some of those prototypes, uh, Jim did an interview with David for the the minis themselves uh, a couple of I guess it was about two two and a half months ago. Uh, the links are below this that the, are on this episode of the podcast. You can just click on those and go take a look. At, at some of the prototypes and David and the gang have released some more prototypes of those minis on their website as well. So it's not just the images there. You can go hit the wargamingcompany.com and go see some of those. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to let Jim take over and do a lot of the question asking, but I want to start with um, David, give us a little bit of the backstory on, on ESR series three, sort of how you got to this point where you guys decided we now need a series three and what decisions you made about uh what to include, what to, to specifically exclude versus push off for some further expansions or, or additional content down the line and, and kind of how this specific product and product launch came together. Uh, the the big thing, the kernel of it, I guess I'll say, is, uh, is unfinished business. We had been, so we did the original release in 2015 and then we did second edition in 2016. So that's about six years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple of things that we really wanted to do in second edition, but we couldn't figure out solutions for. And so those were nagging us. And it was kind of like, you know, in the background, when we have time, what are we playing with? We're trying to fix X. Um, and the, the big X was uh, combat resolution. In, internally, we called it um we needed a solution for um batch unit combat resolution because we wanted to solve it we're we're process people so we call things by technical names but (laughs) basically instead of rolling off things by stands we wanted to be rolling off things by divisions but we didn't want the results to feel either too big or too small and minor we didn't want it to be just two blocks staring at each other we still wanted to have some movement in there that made it feel like there were smaller elements within that division um that were getting pushed around um and it it took us a long time to solve it so that that was kind of a long nagging thing and then um the the other sort of overarching part was since i don't know last couple you know year or two before the pandemic we were moving towards a thought that at some point it would be nice to tighten up a lot of the language um because for the people who've got second edition who have played second edition um there are sections that left room to interpretation just from a stylistic standpoint 
<laughs> it was kind of loose that way because our our methodology was um not worrying about can someone interpret this two ways but does either one of these ways that they could interpret it break anything no okay great then <laughs> their their club is going to interpret it one way or the other and and that's fine um and we'll just let that be out there in the world but time passes and adoption increases and cross-pollination happens. And all of those things mean that you've got more people interacting with each other that maybe aren't doing it in the silo of a club. Okay. And they want to have the same interpretation as the other guy that they meet. Uh, and and so there was a, a real emphasis on tightening up the language of the text so that whether or not we know each other or play with each other regularly, we feel like we're playing the same game if we meet up. Try and, try and weed out the rules rules lawyers opportunities yeah. to get involved all right so cool and and along the way the uh the production values seem to have skyrocketed a bit this, this <laughs> new book looks this is not to slag on the older releases this one looks damn good i mean it really does um Thank and, you. And, and, and i don't think jim's gonna disagree with me on that one at all so um, oh no, no, no! I it's uh, and and it's already divided. You know, the ESR community, the et sans resultat community, a sans resultat community is so profoundly divided over everything, of course. And one of the things that's already divided over is combound versus hardbound. All y'all combound sneeches are wrong. <laughs> the hardbound book is better. It's it it's slimmer. It's trimmer. It it folds open beautifully, and you, you can all go to Kinkos, and if as long as you own one, print one so it folds open if that's what you want. But this is this is a ton better, no question. As a guy who spent a lot of years combining other people's crap when I worked for Kinkos, um, yeah, don't go to Kinkos. They hate having to deal with combines. Those things suck. Yeah. <laughs> They really are a pain in the ass. We had, when I first, this was late 90s, when I first got hired at Kinko's, we spent the better part of like nine weeks prepping for this massive computer conference that was coming to town. It's back when I lived in Monterey. They had like 35,000 people showing up for this thing. And they had books for literally every one of these workshops over the course of a week. We did, seriously, we did somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 thousand separate books all of them combound and that crap wow. just sucked sucked <laughs> so so if you want to combine it do it the right way and do it yourself god damn it don't don't force some, ah. some copy schmuck to have to clean up your mess right you combine your own damn crap those things are awful all right i'm off my soapbox jim talk to us about what you've gleaned from the text so far, did David hit the mark on those those two goals that he just set out as to two of the big things they were looking to do with ESR Series 3? You know, David is one of the few people where I'm always circumspect when I say this, but you know that I've got a very, very deep history in miniature Napoleonics. It goes back 40 years. And I've talked to David about this offline. The only thing that comes close to doing what Esan's Resultat is trying to do is Patty Griffith's Napoleonics Wargaming for fun. And I asked David once if he'd ever read it. He said he hadn't, and I believe him. He's a man of honor. And it's very... I have it, it here somewhere, though. Yeah, it is indicative. It Look, you come with a set of understandings, and ESR... I think one of the things that happens with it when you teach it to people is I think it's easier to teach it to people who have never played Napoleonics before. Yes. Yeah. Because As they don't taught it to a bunch of people. I completely agree. With <laughs> because if you come with a set of common understandings about Napoleonics, it, it just, it, it creates fuss. It creates, uh, what do I say? It's like they're struggling against binders. We call yeah, it baggage. Yeah, right. They're they're trying to shed their their previous sets of understanding. But let me answer your question particularly. Again, when I talked to David, when I interviewed him for the miniatures piece, he said something to me that I've sort of stepped back from, and I and I will admit I'm a little ambivalent about it, and I'll tell you why. I'm in. Okay, I've got thousands of miniature toy soldiers. I have hundreds of rule books. Literally, some of them, you know, stapled together. And I'm in, and I don't got to be sold on this. What David is trying to do here is very clear to me. He's trying to do what essentially Battlefront has done for Flames of War, except make it a more accurate game. It <laughs> is Nazi's not doing it for you, huh? It is, to, and and I will tell only the story which I think I've told before. When I first wanted to play Napoleonics, it was 1982. I went to this place, and they had 25 millimeter minifigs, and I said, "All right, what can I play?" And they said, "You can be the Dutch Belgians." Because that's what was left. <laughs> and I said, 
okay, I'll be the Dutch Belgians, I guess. That's fine. What are Dutch Belgians? Here's a book. And I couldn't afford the book. I couldn't afford the freaking Osprey book. I was in high school. So the owner of the store was willing to make me a copy on his little, you know, those copiers that used to slide back and forth. And, and, and he was willing to make me the copy of three pages of an Osprey book. Well, what do we know about copies in 1982? They're all black and white. So I have no idea what color these soldiers are. So I'm in, I'm literally in my Encyclopedia Britannica at home. I'm using these black and white things. And I'm using that to guess with minifigs. Now, if you know minifigs, you know they're not the most detailed figures in the planet. <laughs> so here I am, this kid, trying to figure out brushes, trying to figure out paints, trying to figure out color schemes, trying to figure out unit organizations, trying to figure out Dutch Belgians. It was only because of the grandeur of Napoleonics that I stayed. It is evident to me, and I'll certainly welcome his comments on this, that what David is trying to say is he takes little Jim, little, well, how old was that? 14. 14 year old Jim by the hand and says, dude, buddy, put the black and white copy down, put the, <laughs> put the Encyclopedia Britannica down. Let me show you what this is about. And I'm going to walk you in the door in terms of not just how these rules play, but how you get there in terms of unit types, countries involved, unit coloring, unit organization, and tries to make this, tries to lower that insanely steep glide path into the Napoleonic experience. Before David reacts to that, I do have a quick question. David, what were you doing in 1982? Uh, Ooh, um, okay, so... I just kind of wanted to poke at Jim here a little bit. Like, I was 10, you know? I mean, I was already wargaming by then. (laughs) Well, so here's a fun one. Um, You guys can both see me. How old do you think I am? (laughs) <laughs> probably oh. somewhere between me and jim but that would be my surmise yeah that's the that's the elegant way i'm 56 gonna be 56 uh so i was three <laughs> okay so i imagine that i was probably like playing on the floor pushing cheerios down the heat vent or something <laughs> <laughs> bless your heart so yeah i mean that's uh, yeah oh, there it is yeah <laughs> Oh, so significantly younger than me as well, which is, so I will say this very quickly. I think that's awesome because for way too long, I have been the kid brother in every wargaming room I've ever been in. Oh, that's funny. And, and it's yeah, been, hey, you're the way, old guy, hooray, or it's been guy. that way for 25 years. <laughs> so it's, it's nice to finally have somebody younger than me hanging around. It's pretty cool. So, um, so, so David has, has Jim kind of, kind of hit the nail on the head here that, that, uh, I don't want to make it sound like it's overly simplistic, but that part of what you're after is providing people an on-ramp in a Napoleonic wargaming here. No, that's, yeah, that's totally the thing. I mean, it's, I can, I expound on that, but the answer is yes. Um, the, the general philosophy of, um, of product design, not on the level of what's going to go into this product, but in terms of what product lines do we want? What stuff do we want to offer? What is the package? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? The answer is we want to lower bars to entry. Yeah, We, yeah. we, want, to, we want to lower the barriers to entry to a period um, that's very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I, it happens less now for whatever reason. I used to get asked, very very commonly why the hell did you pick napoleonics hey it's got the biggest problem to solve do you know how hard it is to get into napoleonics i it do sucks i i i, I, I do it's i think terrible. jim just told us <laughs> I, I yeah pretty intimately but yeah like like world war ii and, and everybody gets to pick on battlefronts like pick on richard nixon um they're just kind of crying out for it and they can afford it but ha. the world war ii got a problem solved that didn't need to be solved by battlefront right you got pop culture history that's relatively accurate it's incredibly accessible um you can get all of the information that you need without buying their stuff or by buying their stuff but i mean you can it, it's You've got photographs, you've got plenty of free books and articles, you've got it's all over the place. Well, so you, it's, you it's got, you got people for whom it is still within living memory. It, right. It's, I mean, you know, it's you got folks talking to grandparents about what they did in the war and they're talking about World War II. And that's, you know, there's there's an immediacy to that that you don't get with literally any other war before that. Right. So 
I'm not nuts about Flames of War because it's not my kind of game. But regardless of that, um, I think that they solved a really easy problem that didn't really need solving in, in terms of providing the whole thing for somebody so that they had a low barrier to entry. And I think Napoleonics is the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, you can have... I've got, I don't know, somewhere north of 5,000 uniform plates uh, in our collection that we use for reference, and I can be wrong about stuff. So (laughs) it's it's hard to, I can count people that I know who have more resources in some of the areas of the period um, accessible to them, meaning not that, you know, I'm in some great class of people, but that the average person who wants to get into this period is going to have zero of that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the products that distill it and package it for you. So you can go and say, I want to do the Russian campaign. So I want to go buy a book and I want to have a general overview of what happens. And I want to have some playable scenarios so I can get into it with my buddies. And I want to know what units were there and what I can paint. That didn't exist. That literally did not exist. There was not a thing, gaming product or not gaming product, that did all of that. There were many things that you could patch together. Yeah. Um, And so we looked at that and said, that's the problem we want to solve. And to do it in such a way that you don't also turn off the longtime experienced guys who may not need the on-ramp because they're already cruising down the highway. Aha. And now we arrive at the dilemma. Like that guy. This is This is where I wonder about it. And like I say, I posted pictures when my copy of ESR showed up at my doorstep. Excuse me. When my copy of ESR showed up at my doorstep, I was on my way out the door to New York. I, I almost had my mail stopped because all of a sudden I get this notification that this is shipping. And I'm like, this can't sit on my porch for five days. So, so I, I said, no, maybe it'll come. And it did. And I was so excited. And I opened it up. And it is. It's a Seriously, folks, it's a gorgeous production. Don't, don't even kid yourself. Um, however, I immediately noticed that there were page upon page upon page of things that made me, Jim, who is who I am, who's got Von Reisfitz as his avatar, say, okay, okay, I know that. Come on, 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 come <laughs> on. You know, I how do you how do you, David, deal with the fact that there are some of us, and maybe, maybe, and I don't know if it's a problem, it's not stopping me from enjoying it, let me be clear. But do you worry, I guess, that there are some people that don't want that reset? That it's like, no, 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 no. I've got 2,000 Russians based from the days before now. You know, I've got 2,000 Russians. I've got, I've played with 30 different rules. I've got a group of gaming buddies. I don't need this. Why are you giving me this? Um, well, and by this, you mean all of the, the period background and what are the Napoleonic wars, which is, which God knows I'll read about till hell won't have it. What are the Napoleonic wars? Who are the major participants? What are the major categories of troops? Things like that. Um, the, I guess the first response is tough shit. Um, the, (laughs) because (laughs) yes <laughs> ultimately yeah he gets to tell me that you don't okay Brad? no no no. here's the thing jim i'm never going to tell you that what i love is that there's a publisher who's willing to say that to the audience yeah and, yeah and, for sure and i'm not i'm not picking on david here but at a certain point like it's the publisher's product and there's a there's a vision that they had for what they wanted and there's always going to be somebody bitching about stuff and i've seen way too many publishers bend over backwards to try and justify and explain and apologize and whatever and it's it's very refreshing to hear david tell you to kiss off about that that's kind of cool <laughs> like, I, I, i'm again i'm not picking on david at all i think this is great and it's not intended at you jim but it like the audience as a whole this is oh but i'm definitely is. that guy don't get me wrong i'll you you know, I, I, I'll be, I, I'll stand in judgment on that, but no. Yeah. All right. Now, sorry, David, I totally it, cut you off there. I'll let you. That's okay. It, in my previous career, uh, I worked for a company where the guy who ran it said that you need to give people um, what they want and what they need, not what they ask for. Mm-hmm. And the, the legacy, um, I, I don't say that dismissively, at least not in this particular case, but the legacy historical gaming audience who knows all the stuff um laments the rate at which people enter their hobby 
they, they lament how slow it is. They want more people coming into the hobby. They want reassurance that the hobby is going to be happy and successful and going to continue beyond them. And the thing that they've been a part of isn't disappearing, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? The new guy doesn't know all this stuff. So I can make a product that is strictly for you. Um, that will only include the things that you want, that only includes the things that you need. It's going to be more utilitarian. Uh, I can do that. It will be a horrible experience for the new guy. Or um, I can try to provide more of that on-ramp that you guys talked about. And yeah, all right. I, I guess you get to page past some of it. That's That's the way it is because the... The stuff that I don't need that is in this book is stuff that I did need when I started. Now, I'm sure there's somebody out there is asking, okay, fine, or, or in the back of their mind, they're thinking, okay, fine, make two books. And there's only so much of you to go around for the number of books you're going to try to produce, though, right? There, there is, and there's also a market problem with that from a business perspective, because there's... I mean, they're, they're, you know, okay, are we going to do that with our whole product line, right? We've got, we've got these campaign guides. Are we going to provide an intro book and a nuts and bolts book? Um, so now we're increasing the number of SKUs that we have to manage. We're increasing production costs. Um, we are delving into the fact that our inventory predictions and such have to be more accurate than they're going to be in order for this to be sound. And... 14-year-old Jim only has so many dollars. So you're, the solution cannot be that 14-year-old Jim has to go buy two. Yeah, yep. Um, so that the 57-year-old Jim, 56-year-old Jim, I don't know what it was you said a moment ago. I've already forgotten your age. But the yep. the, the, the 90-year-old Jim, we'll just keep making you higher. Um, nice. Because so that he doesn't have to buy two, he can only buy. He only has to buy one. Sorry, um, we're we're not favoring that because we want to make it easier for entry, not easier for I'm already here. Yeah. I will tell you. So, I've been an RPG guy almost as long as I've been a, a war game guy. Um, it still goes back to single digit age for for me. And, and it's funny too because you you see things like how did you get into role playing games? And there's these surveys online, and like nine of the fourteen options didn't exist when I started. <laughs> like YouTube wasn't an option in 1981, right? I mean, it just wasn't there. And, and and Jim and I have talked about this in, in the past and people who really want to go find those conversations can, but you know, we're, we're not among the first 500 or thousand or so role players out there, but we're, we're certainly in the first 1% of, of, of original role-playing audience at this point, just because of how much the market's expanded. I've, I've been doing role-playing stuff for, for 40 years. I've played a crap ton of games, crap ton of different systems. I still get pretty jazzed by the intro boxes, the intro games, the intro books. How do you... How do you set that on-ramp for bringing new players in? Because even as much as I've played for as long as I have, I don't want people assuming I already know. Am I going to skip past the paragraph that explains what the 2D6 notation means? Yes, yes, I am. But but I still want to see how you explain how your system works, how your world works, how those things are integrated in what you do, despite the fact that, again, I've been role-playing since the early 80s, since before guys who are now named commodities in the role playing industry as longtime creators before they were born i was playing that's but i still like those on-ramp products and i actually just picked one up this past weekend it's across the room i've got the uh the the new shadow run uh intro box that catalyst just released and i was playing shadow run in the 90s and and i i still went and picked up the new intro box because i want to see how that works and so, Jim, I totally hear you that that there's a bunch of product, there's a bunch of parts of that product that absolutely don't appeal to you and you don't need to help get started in all this. And and I totally understand why a person like you, not you specifically, but a, a long time to on a gamer might be frustrated with why am I paying for these extra 50 pages I don't need. David's explanation of, of all of the business management side of things makes perfect sense. I, I guess I'm in that overlap right in the middle of it all that I don't need it, but I still want it because I still enjoy reading it and seeing how all of those things come together. And so, look, I, I am not an experienced Napoleonic gamer. Jim and I have joked about this much in the past. I'm, I, I am a program for you. Of, okay. Well, but I, I'm the kind of person that would need 
that on-ramp stuff if that was a period I was interested in. For me, Napoleonics just gets crowded out by other things I'd rather be playing. And that's, you know, that that's just where my interests are. And that's fine. I don't, I don't, I make fun of Napoleonic gamers, but that's, I respect the hell out of them. Um, I would need that kind of on-ramp. But even if I didn't, I'm just weird enough that I like having it there anyway. And that's the kind of... That, that's the kind of product that I enjoy, even with the long experience that I have with a lot of those products. And that, that really doesn't bother me at all. Um, maybe I'm just the weirdo in all of this. I, I'm sure Jim will agree with that. So, <laughs> it, I think that a part of it also depends on whether it's done well. And I own, I'm obviously too close to it. I'm the one who did it. Hopefully we did it well. And if we did it well, then I think that it's easier for those who don't need it to still find value in it because of how well it's done. There's also some uniqueness to it. You know, Jim mentioned that it tells you what troop types are. It does. Um, it also tells you what they are translated into the different languages of the period for the different major factions, which is Funny enough, we do get mail from we will get email from gamers who are who are into the period. You know, they are they are steeped in Napoleonic history, but they don't know those terms. You know, they, they know what a hussar is, but they don't know why it's spelled with a G when it's transliterated Russian. Um, because that was never something that they came across. Uh, what's funny to me is that the younger the gamer, the less Napoleonic experienced the gamer, the more they look at it and they say oh sure so it's called a whatever and this is what it does great that's why i needed to know the more accomplished a napoleonic gamer they are if they're accomplished enough they'll write us an email and say you know this is going to confuse the hell out of the kids <laughs> because <laughs> i because i didn't know it and i know a lot about this stuff and that's not a crazy perspective but i think for the most part it happens to be wrong in this particular instance because the kids wouldn't know what a hussar is anyway I have to tell them no matter what. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I tell them in, in Spain, it's called this. In Russia, it's called this. In France, it's called this. Because I have to define it for them no matter what. All of this is new. When you were first describing that, you said we get mail from people. And I was going to ask, email or regular mail? That was, we that actually, was mostly we get email. But on, on rare occasion, we will actually get letters in the mail. Do they have self-addressed stamped envelopes inside them? Stop no, it. Is dying to know. We haven't gotten any of those. So from, from my end, and this is sort of my way of on-ramping people into understanding why the first time I was reading through ESR many years ago now, it seems, I went, hey, wait a minute. It's different. I'll start with my most simple question. Your maneuver element is the battalion, and yet at no point does any for, does any battalion form column, line, or square. Why did you decide to make a set of rules that don't have these three fundamental things that other people will tell you you can't have a proper Napoleonic game at that level without? Uh, I blame it on my friend Bruce. Do you guys have a friend Bruce? You need one, because when questions come up like this, you blame it on him. I see. Um, I I, I, I was going to say, I blame Brant. Does that count? That's BR. (laughs) So uh, when we were doing the development of the original edition so this is pre-2015 um uh, you know originally esr was a very different beast it was a very non-innovative um evolutionary so in napoleonics you have one to 160 games which refers to the figure a man ratio and Mm -hmm. basically if somebody tells you that they play one to 160 games uh or one to 60 games um that tells you that the one it tells you nominally their age and when they started playing hey I'm, i am sitting right here they, they probably spent a lot of time with empire um uh, yep and uh two it tells you that it's probably an empire derivative mm-hmm. uh which which originally our system could i suppose fairly be called that before it was ever released uh but one of the problems that we were trying to solve was that we did not want players doing tactical micromanagement so we did not want players making decisions about battalions being in columns and lines and squares and is it a column of divisions or a column of companies or or whatever the heck uh, and one of our original playtesters said, um, so don't give them the option. Just take it away. Is that Bruce? 
That was Bruce. <laughs> and, it, and it was a very smart decision. I mean, at first, I didn't know what the heck he meant. I was like, are you king? Do you mean, like, create some sort of table that... that <laughs> because that's how you solve things in Napoleonics. Of you course, have- you build... Yes, yeah. Or a modifier, um, a sheet of modifiers, yeah. And, and so, uh, and his answer was, no. I mean, just don't add any mechanics for it. Remove the mechanics for it. Don't provide the mechanics for it. And that eventually uh matured into the fact that a single base is a battalion there are several layers of management between the players and that battalion and if they lose maybe they were in the wrong formation i don't know i'm worried about whether the division is breaking up because that's the level i operate at so i'm a division commander i'm you're telling no, you're a core army commander Okay, so I'm the core army commander, yes. and I'm telling I'm I'm moving this division over to my right flank yep. to go stem the cavalry charge that I can see coming from from an oversized table away, waiting for them to eventually get to me three sessions from now. That Quiet uh, you, <laughs> and 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 so I tell the division go defend that flank, and I get out of the way, and I let I, I'm not telling the division commander how to suck eggs; he gets to figure it out himself. Yeah, basically, and the. the The general command and control mechanics of ESR is that a player's entire command has a destination um, that we call its force objective. And that's not a victory condition. That's a destination. That's where it's going. That's its area of operation. Um, And then each one of its subsequent component pieces, whether it be a brigade or a column or a division or or what have you, depending on the um, nomenclature of that army, has got a directive that tells it how to behave. If you want it to behave aggressively, you give it an attack. If you want it to behave um, more passively, but go somewhere, you give it a move. And then there's six of those in series three, so not too many. Uh, And they are all pretty tightly defined, not overlapping very much. And so you you give those to your um, your elements that you're controlling, and it relates to where they're going on the field, which you've set for your whole command. So you're you're not sending one east and one west. Uh, you you are always attempting to consolidate against a point. Uh, but then that sets what they have to do. So there's a decision making process and an execution process. And below the execution process is everything is abstracted. Gotcha. Now that makes that makes perfect sense when you explain it that way. So, so now we just got to get all those new players to listen to this podcast to hear you explain it that way. <laughs> well, so then I have now not been allowed to form column, line, and square. So I'm already mad. I'm a 160 guy. I make it a t-shirt. 160 guy. Just walk around <laughs> Historicon with that. I'm a 160 guy and David hates me. Um, But... You know, I, I'm a 160 guy. You've not let me form column, line, and square. Uh, we all we're all pretty familiar with objective based gaming. That's that. There's a history there and all this other stuff. But then once I get there, well, the, once I get to the space, once I am in the combat friction area that more and more games seem to be acknowledging is what's critical. I'm thinking of March Attack, Sam Mustafa's LaSalle. They they really have acknowledged that there's two scales, there's two spots on a gaming on a on a Napoleonic battlefield. But once I'm in this engagement range, I do not get the dignity of being able to point to this battalion base and point at that other base and roll a die to determine if I hit it or not. No, you don't get to shoot. To the I don't to the point. I don't get to shoot. <laughs> I paint all these artillery limbers. I paint all these battalions, and instead, you're going to make me do assessments. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't get to go. All right, Brant. Uh, these these uh, these Jaegers are in terrain and they're shooting at your cavalry, and so they're rough. So we get a plus one and a minus one roll. You take what what gifts? Why have you deprived me of one of the great joys of all Napoleonic wargaming? Okay, I got I got to interject here, Jim. Anytime I have to sit down for a Napoleonic game with your son on the other side of the table, we are playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, Velker will be very, very pleased to hear that yeah. because, uh, yeah, he. Uh, it, although he's taken a few whippings in recent Saturday Night Fight gets together, he he remembers the Austerlitz Blucher game very fond. Yeah, yeah, it, Velker kicked my ass is what he did. So, <laughs> so, 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 the, so the question becomes again: you, in all seriousness, you have taken away one of the foundational pieces 
of, well, shoot, it's even Blucher, you know, even Blucher, which is another unique way of thinking about the battle space. It says this base shoots at that base and it's going to mark so many hits. I, I don't do that. I never do that in ESR. Why not? Um, it was already solved by a whole bunch of other games. So I, I think of the world in terms of problems that are solved and problems that are unsolved. Shooting is a tactical consideration. Shooting is not an operational level consideration. Uh, ESR is an operational level game. Shooting is a tactical level concern. And I I strain to name Napoleonic games or even just horse and musket games that are not at their core of design tactical. So that that already exists. A whole bunch of people did that. From uh, Corte Armée by Jeffrey Wooten. That's a particular favorite of mine. That's, I want to say, late 80s, early 90s. Yep. Um, to, you know, heck, if you want to sit down with a couple brigades or, uh, you know, in a say a division per side or something people much malign empire but you know that's because they try to play an esr sized game with empire yes if, if that, they that's... sat down and played you know a small action it, it's a perfectly serviceable runs quickly not horrible oh. Wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. I was with you. It runs quickly. Come on now. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. But it, it runs quickly enough if you make the forces small enough. So I, my, my, you know, one of my, uh, what, what do I want to say? My, it's not my, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, like my, my hidden loves is, uh, is the complete brigadier. Mm. And, you know, this is the only Napoleonic game of which I'm aware that requires you to use a calculator to resolve combat. <laughs> it actually says bring a calculator but i i said the thing that most people screw up with that game is exactly your point they try to play even a salamanca or a talavera with it it's like no no no, that's not what it's for what does the game title say you're a brigadier yeah what is wrong with you so okay when that's i mean when it, uh, the first miniatures game that i ever got into was was johnny reb 2 oh there you go and J- johnny reb 2 uh if you read it is you're a player and you're going to have two to five regimental units yep that's what you're going to play with correct game works pretty well um now what do we do with it well we bring 40 or 60 regimental units on the table (laughs) and now the game is slow and awkward and painful and blah 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 yeah we might be breaking it um that might be our own fault so the i don't remember whether i probably said this on one of our previous conversations but we had a game before the world ended prior to the pandemic and the the way way back long long ago um when we were at adepticon there we were running a game and we had a couple of guys who had both played a bunch of empire one of them really really got it made sense to him he was enjoying it esr was his new exciting thing the other guy was really struggling but he knew he was struggling he knew that this was having a hard time wrapping his head around and at one point he just says i don't get the scope and scale of this game and the first guy turns to him and sets a piece of paper down the table and over the top of some troops and he says the game that you and i are used to playing is what happens underneath that sheet of paper <laughs> instead we're zoomed way out and we are managing the the movement of these large bodies of troops over several miles in order to concentrate them where we want and you know so in our favored ground scale you know because you can play esr and a ground scale esr series three is no different we published uh quick reference guides this past weekend that you can download for free for a slew of different ground scales so you can play with whatever figure collection you've got play with my 54s baby there, there you go um but in the gymnasium <laughs> but at, at our favorite ground scale of 150 yards per inch a foot is a mile yep so you know if four by six tables are popular because they're easy to find and you know, a fair amount of space and what have you, a four by six battlefield for two to four people is a lot of battle space. And the game Imagine is what an eight by 12 would be right. That's right. <laughs> um, and the, the game is about maneuver and coordination. And then you get resolution quickly because divisions don't last that long. You need more of them. You know, you look at <laughs> <Pernino, laughs> all day, but look right. at how many divisions are chewed up in a battle like that. Yes. All of them. <laughs> yes so it it yeah we took away you you don't get to shoot you you do assessments you compare your offensive prowess to the defensive prowess of your opponent and you degrade their operational ability and they do the same to you um but 
it happens degradation through combat happens fairly quickly um and happens with significant results so you still have big exciting moments where it's like holy crap that division just broke and now i need something to fill in that hole because if i don't have something to fill in that hole the game is over yeah. uh or, so you, you still have the tension uh that you might have in a tactical game you don't have to miss that but the terminology changes and the the stratagem changes because you're operating at a different level. For, well, for we, someone like me that's going to have a modern frame of reference, that, that degradation of units through play sounds a lot like the friction point mechanic from the old Central Front series of the uh, you know Cold War Goes Hot in Europe, where units theoretically get an unlimited number of actions, but for everything they do, they're accumulating some friction until they eventually just sort of grind to a halt because you worn them out you've done what you can do with them it's a little more tactically explicit than where you're operating i i really like that that visualization of putting a sheet of paper on the giant part of the battlefield and say we're used to only playing what's underneath there i think that's a a really good visualization of it all to to give people a, a better understanding of the scope of what they're looking at i think that that works well since we have been wargaming i mean scrooby featherstone wells pick who you want we've wanted to play the battles yes but that's that's never been a question read featherstone from the very beginning you know read any of it nobody really wanted to live at the well i don't want to say nobody very very few wanted to live at the empire complete brigadier scale yeah, they but all- you go, like, uh, you read Bruce Corey, right? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I don't know that Bruce Corey invents bathtubbing, but he's certainly a big fan of it. Um, well, I, I, well, yeah, he gets that from Featherstone, Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, there's this notion that we're just going to, we're going to proportionally shrink everything, and then we're still going to play it as though it was tactical. Sure. I mean, Featherstone says, okay, these 20 guys, that's a regiment. Yep. You know, every 20 guys I got, that's a regiment. Or these 10 guys whatever it is and we're going to assign them straight so we've my point is we've always wanted to get to the battle we just don't know how to get there frank chadwick in a somewhat revolutionary way says with volley and bayonet all right screw it now i don't worry about column line and square now i've got a brigade it's a square right but in my mind and you said something today that i'm going to have to think a lot about it's a i think what bothers me about volley and bayonet and to a certain extent blucher it's still a tactical game. It's yeah, still a. <laughs> I tend to pick on Napoleon's battles that way, and it's not because I hate Napoleon's battles. Um, I it's not my kind of game either. But I think it's a it's a good design. It's a perfectly coherent system. I have a lot of respect for it. But when it comes to um, and grand tactics is something that's sort of invented, right? Grand tactics is actually there's operational level war. And I've we, I mean second edition of ESR we called it grand tactical game because it, people knew that name yeah Um, but you know you really have tactical stuff and then you have operational stuff and then you have strategic stuff and i had a friend of mine who is a a professor of of military history tell me that um tactical is when somebody is shooting at you and operational is the maneuvering that you do up to being shot at and strategic is being committed to that area in the first place and so you you have a strategic asset the A second airborne is a strategic asset until it goes to ground in a theater. Now it is an operate an operational asset until it is involved in combat, at which time it is a tactical element. Yeah, and that that made a lot of sense to me, but. The reason that I pick on Napoleon's battles is that while that claims to be a a grand tactical system, I can play it strictly in a tactical way, and it works very well. In fact, I will be good at the game. There is nothing that forces me to manipulate things differently and consider the table at a different level, um, because I can just play it as though it's tactical and it works fine. It's a fun game, but that's not... Lots of people have solved that problem. We didn't want to do that. Why? Well, and, 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 and you've been very gracious, and and I'm and I don't want to disrespect him. I mean, you know, Bob Cog. My my copy of Napoleon's Battles is autographed by both authors, who are I think since That's both cool. gone now. I think we've lost them. Yeah. Um. As Craig Taylor and Bob Coggins, um, both giants in the in the system. They were trying to show board war gamers what a a, a war what a uh, tabletop game would look like if you applied war game rules to it. Sure. If you you know. But with both it and Age of Eagles, with for whom I for which I also have respect, I'll say the same thing. I got to a point 
where I was saying, wait a minute, am I just forming a brigade into into column or a brigade into line? Yeah. Or most strangely, a brigade into square? What exactly am I doing? That's yeah. a big damn square. What is what does that represent? <laughs> well, and and I lose I I lose patience with the argument that no, 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 that division or brigade size element isn't actually in square. We have formed it that way to indicate that the tactical elements within it are in a state where they are prepared to repel cavalry. And I go, all right, as a theoretical exercise, there's nothing wrong with that. But as soon as you start teaching players the game, they're going to say, oh, I need to put my brigade in square because my brigade acts like a battalion. Yeah. It, the, the abstraction has to be maintained by the player separate from the game system. And I guess that's not an approach I favor. I, I do want to say for folks curious about all those names that, that Jim was rattling off a minute ago, folks like Scrooby and Featherstone. We've got them linked to this episode, but go take a look at Robert Mosher's History of Wargaming series that we've been running on on Thursdays for most of uh, one Thursday a month for most of last year. And we've actually got the Featherstone one in the can coming up. I, I'm hoping next month if we can get it tightened up enough and ready to go. Uh, but but Robert's been researching a lot of the history of Wargaming, especially from the minis side for quite some time and, and has been gracious enough to send those over to us to publish. As the Dragoons proudly charge into their eighth season of Mentioned in Dispatches, we'd like to pause and thank those Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Treb Curry, Staggerwing, Patrick Mullen, Mike Quigley, Hethwell Wargames, Patrick Garrity, Robert, Kevin Bertram, and Joseph Knoll for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and enabling us to bring you the best wargaming content we can. You, too, can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchairdragoons. We've talked a lot about the game rules and the game system, and we're starting to run out of time here a little bit. And I want to make sure that we at least talk about the miniatures here some. So, so David, ser- Wait, seriously, like, miniatures? Yeah. <laughs> When you guys first rolled out, I mean, one of the things that you, because you had even mentioned it to us in the past, one of the big things you had with ESR was, here's the book, go use whatever the hell minis you want, whatever you've already got, we're not going to make you go completely reinvest in the toys, bring your own toys to the table, and here's our rules on how to use them, now you're making your own minis. I, I don't have to use your minis, but how right. did you take the plunge and say, screw it, we're making our own minis? Uh, so we, we, we started uh 2017 maybe 2017 2018 something like that we we started um doing a partnership with a company in england where we were sourcing miniatures from them explicitly for the purpose of providing esr box sets and that was done that was done because new guy i'm new at napoleonics where do i get the stuff that i need yeah i know all the manufacturers who make stuff for this and and frankly telling them oh yeah come on in we have the answers we can help you get into this period we can we can onboard you but when it comes to all of the game pieces you need go back out in the wilderness and figure it out um that doesn't go over terribly well so we we had to provide a solution um for that person uh in that area because that's a huge part of the equation um when did we decide to go the path of having our own sculpted maybe three-ish years ago (laughs) just in time for all the supply chains to shut down yeah i mean and it's it's a slow process to start especially when you're not a company that's done this before so we one we kind of knew that ultimately if things continue to be successful we were going to need to provide our own from a business standpoint we needed the margins in order to continue to push out new stuff uh we have to fund that somehow and so if we wanted uh, a miniatures line to be successful we had to have some control of that internally rather than just through partnership secondly another partnership factor is we're dependent on you do you have all that we want to offer no are you going to make all that we want to offer no and so at some point 
that kind of calls our hand. Um, yeah. And so we we decided to go into miniatures production with well, one it was it was an English company we were working with, and you have to get stuff from England and blah blah blah. And then Brexit does not make that any easier, and so that kind of forced us to start ramping it. But we we started doing development of our own line started about three years ago uh, before we announced it this past December. And the the big thing for us is that from a concept standpoint, we've got uniform images in our campaign guides that we produce that tells you what everybody looks like and what kit they're wearing for the most part now and what color patterns they should have. And then you're going to go out and find somebody's miniatures that aren't going to match. <laughs> and that's that's not a big deal if you're me. And it's not a big deal if you're Jim because you're already familiar. Yeah. But if you're Brant, you go, wait a minute, the guy looks slightly differently in my guide than he does in this package in the flesh what do i do here and so we're making miniatures that match what we offer we're not dealing in the world of well you can substitute these figures for those figures and they're close enough because the new guy doesn't know that they're close enough he doesn't know how to look over and evaluate that so yeah. a lot of it is simply trying to design to what's missing in the market. But you can uh, well, until it's, until it's too late and they're sitting next to it on a base. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of what are we making, we're not making stuff. We're, we're not inventing our own scale. We're not making it proprietary so that you have to lock in and only use ours. You can continue to buy your favorite brand of 10 millimeter stuff and put them on the table if you want. We think that you'll buy ours because we think ours are going to be nicer. But if you don't agree, you don't have to. Well, and I imagine it's also true that they could just buy your toys to use with someone else's rules. Yeah. The, the one were they not, obviously, but you know. The, the one caveat with that that always gets a bit in the modern age gets messy is that if you're creating an ecosystem your stuff is packaged for your ecosystem yeah whereas if you're if you're just a manufacturer of miniatures and you're not tied to a game system then you're making packs of 30 or packs of 50 or packs of whatever right uh and and people are spending their weekend doing the math to figure out what the optimal numbers that they need to buy are for whatever they do whereas when you buy our stuff you'll get the right numbers for our game right his your boxes were i building for lasalle would make me angry yeah (laughs) yeah because because i'm gonna get way too many eagle carriers Jim, you build all of yours on tabletop simulator. You control C, control V, and then you. Oh no, it. that's no, that's absolutely right. But but in the day, okay, in the day, I would have been angry. Can, can I? Can I just? I, I know this is something we don't talk about nearly enough, but I know it's something that that David, you've spoken of already in this conversation and others as well. Who is it? How many illustrations have been done now for your uh, different campaign supplements? Oh, total? I have no idea. But in the in the two we have available right now... Uh, Jim, when you're talking you know, illustrations, you're talking the uniform plates. Uniforms, right. These are really... This, is, this goes back to my very first comment about Osprey, where yeah. in the Osprey books, for those who don't know, if you bought an Osprey book, I think even to this day, it's not like they gave you a really nice front and back shot of every single troop they gave you whatever angus mcbride or any of those guys chose to draw that day and they're very pretty oh they're gorgeous i mean that's why i have them all right (laughs) but it's it's not like you were getting the light the line oh what were what were the marines of the guard what were you know what was all this stuff so roughly between the two books you have how many so the the one that covers spain to assure my dynasty has just shy of 2000 in it it's like 1980 something uh and then the one for russia master of the world is just shy of 3000 it's like 2990 three or something so and, 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 time. and who has done those uh we we do them in house becky is the illustrator i do the coloring but she does all of the uh line art that's right dudes ladies get it they get uh, it at a level that maybe you don't appreciate if, just saying i i will <laughs> Uh, a pastime of friends sometimes uh you know industry wargaming friends and what have you is if if somebody comes up to our booth at a convention um she's often in the booth working and somebody asks questions about the uniforms it's really funny because um 
she's not steeped in the terminology, but knows her shit. <laughs> you can come up and be like, well, you know, how, how come this unit has bonnets on it? And she's like, point at the part that's the bonnet. And then she can tell you for the next 10 minutes why that one is the way that it is. Just may not remember it's called a bonnet. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so you, you end up with, with people going... Oh well, you see, just just silly lady who doesn't know anything, and then they find out their error. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's I, I think that that is such a beautiful part of what has become these. And and look seriously, I, I I've said this before to you, David, that that fourteen year old Jim cries every time he opens up the book and goes, "Oh, see, that's all I ever wanted. What was this? <laughs> what what was that stupid strap on his back for? <laughs> or?" Even if I don't know what it's for, what color am I supposed to paint it? You're and, supposed to and, paint it either black or white. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or some weird shade of gray. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, no, it's it's just these are these are for those who have not seen, uh, I've written a uh, a review of to uh, secure my dynasty on the Armchair Dragoon site. It's you can see for yourself judge for yourself there are pictures so you don't have to take my word for it it's uh, a pretty pretty cool thing to have yeah this this based on the number of references to things elsewhere on our site this podcast episode might be the one that's got the most other links as a part of the the posting here pointing folks to all of the other articles we keep referencing guys we we could do this all night and and lord knows we have in the past that said at some point somebody's got to edit this thing together and that somebody needs to, so, some time to do that so David, thank you very much for for being here and for taking the time, especially in your weakened state, um, you know, of, of still recovering from the con there. Uh, but we we appreciate you taking the time to show up. And and let's face it, right, you're pimping your own stuff, so you know it's it's nothing wrong with showing up and and talking up your own product. And and again, look, it's it's not my air, preferred area of gaming. Jim will tell you that I'm fine, you know, playing if that's what we're playing and I can actually make it to the game. But I will say, from a, a graphic design perspective perspective and that that is part of my professional background the books are gorgeous man they are just awesome to look at and flip through and and to really appreciate the craft that went into creating the visual design around the content you guys have and that's that i'm i'm always astounded at how much better graphic design continues to get in the wargaming world as a whole even from where we were 10 and 15 years ago never mind 30 and 40 years ago so they, they're, they're beautiful and and i hope lots of people get to see them on their tables so we're, we're at uh i promised to introduce something new right at the end because you asked me to okay but sweet i'm gonna I'm going to point out that the one thing that hasn't come up um, is how we change their pricing. Oh, okay. Can we do it? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to make you do it in 30 seconds or less. Give us the short well, version. I, I, can, I can do it in about that much. We dropped the rule book by half and we dropped the campaign guides by a third. Okay. With with series three, we made everything cheaper because we like to do things that other people don't do. And generally price reductions are not something that people do. So so permanently on sale. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So yeah. so for those of us that are book centered, what are the next two things we get? Ooh, the next two things. I can tell you the next things that are under work. I can't tell you order of release because that's indeterminate. We are working on... So we, we introduced commander and unit stat cards with ESR Series 3. Got that was wired. You can go download the stats on our website uh, for free. But the cards are convenient as hell and you should try them out. They also uh, look cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think they turned out very nice. Uh, the We're adding factions slash nationalities as we go. So the, the Spanish and Austrians are under work for stat cards right now. Um, and it's my hope that those are the next ones that we roll out. It'll depend on some things. But those are in the mix. Uh, and then as far as campaign guides go... Um, we've done, we've been doing some work on both bringing back new editions, series three editions of 1805 and 1814, as well as some work on a new title. But I, right now, I have no idea when any of those things are going to land. I will tell you that, uh, to give people a little bit of perspective of what parts of this are in our control and which aren't, we turned over the files for 
the series three rule book on 31 October and I received wow. it the week, the Friday before Adepticon. So that was, that's coming up on two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, supply chain. <laughs> Dude, I, I've got a book here that I had kickstarted back in 2020. It was it, it was an RPG product. It was stupid cheap on Kickstarter. Um, it, and it, it was a French company. And it's it's just one of those fifth edition compatible world guide sort of miscellany kind of things. It, it was beautiful. It was cheap. I was like, all right, I, I was going to take a flyer on it. Um, that shit sat on a dock for like nine months. They came that close to having to pulp it just to quit paying storage costs on it. They finally came back to the backers and said, look, we, we can get it off the dock. We're not going to ask you to pay anymore. We're going to take it at a loss. But if you're willing to pitch in 10 bucks to help with shipping, we we've got a pledge manager thing set up to do that. I threw my 10 bucks at them. I think they might've broke even on this thing by the time it was all said and done barely, but this thing was pro it was supposed to ship in like June of 2020. And I got it like in January of this year. And, and yeah. it was like it was printed in May of 2020 and been sitting there because they couldn't move it. Yeah, so it, it's rough. I mean, hearing the the print time for our rule book was 18 weeks. Yeah, which is we, just we've talked cool. about the supply chain stuff on, on previous podcasts. We had a larger article about it where I actually went to a bunch of folks in the industry um, and said, "Tell us about some of your experience." Put up a little anonymous survey for folks to be able to reply to, and and got some actual inside the industry responses on some of those things. And, uh, and I think it was a pretty sobering look for a lot of people that are like, well, just print them down the street, your local neighborhood print. Now, now a lot of the folks Good can't do have them comb bound. Yeah, there exactly. you go. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of folks can't do what you're trying to make them do. So, so yeah, I, the shipping piece is a real pain in the ass. Um, and, and I think everybody's got a much better appreciation for how interconnected it all is these days. Um, and, and what a pain in the ass it can be. So Jim, thank you very much. Look, it's not like I had to talk you into showing up talking to Napoleonics, right? So. You did not. You did not, but still a pleasure anyway. And David, let's try and do this more than like just once a season every now and then. We we need you to show up for one of the same conventions we're all at one of these days so we can all hang out and have a beer as part of it. I, I would be up for both of those things. Thank you very much. I always enjoy being on. Cool. And uh, an audience, we appreciate it. We are winding up season eight here yet to come we are still going to do a report from buckeye game fest at some point in there and then we've got a couple other things left to wind up uh we got one coming where we're going to be talking pre-orders p500s kickstarters some folks experience with those things and uh and then we're going to wind down to get into the summer convention season because we got a bunch of those coming up so uh connections online in like two weeks or so for for the online folks and we're going to be at origins this summer we're, we're hoping jim can make it don't know that david's going to make it but we're going to be there and and have a whole bunch of wargaming stuff with us as a part of that so thank y'all very much for listening to mention and dispatches and we'll catch you on our next episode